Another edition of Outside Shots presented by TheLines.com. I am your host, Eli Herskovich. You can follow me on Twitter at Eli Herskovich. You can follow The Lines on Twitter at TheLinesUS. And my co-host today, Rocco Miller, college basketball bracketologist for The Bracketeer and a contributor to Fielding of 68, a part of the Field of 68 college basketball Network And before we get started, Rocco, remember our audience can give the video a thumbs up, subscribe and ring the bell to get notifications whenever a new episode college basketball betting episode is up from the Lions podcast network or NFL, whatever it may be, Major League Baseball, NBA. The Lions.com has also given away a $25 Amazon gift card in our daily college hoops pick'em contest. For more details, head over to play.thelines. And as always, join the Lions Discord channel to get notifications when we place bets on any sport. For more details, that's at thelines.com. I mentioned Rocco Miller, again, college basketball bracketologist. Follow him on Twitter at RoccoMiller8. So, Rocco, we got a lot to talk about college basketball-wise. And I want to tip it off with because when people hear the word bracketologist, a lot of things come to their mind, but I want to give you some kudos because year by year, every single season, you have a top 30 bracket when it comes to the most accurate brackets around the country. So what goes into it for you that makes it so distinct and accurate? Yeah, I appreciate you recognizing that, Eli. Great to be on the show with you this afternoon. And I would just like to say, um, you know, the, the process is very detailed and, uh, I've been ingrained with the process for, you know, well into two decades now, um, where, you know, even going back to when I was probably a teenager and earlier doing things by hand, um, on selection Sunday in the morning with a notebook and pen and taking a guess at where I think the team should be bracketed. Um, didn't know a ton about the process back in those days, but nowadays, um, you know, I, I really want to make bracketeer.org, which I've owned and operated for almost a decade now. I think it's been up for about eight years. Um, to be an educational place, make it a little bit different than just your, you know, your splash page on Twitter or your, uh, you know, your Joe Lenardi breakdown um, or anything you'll find on CBS or other platforms. I think it's it's geared to talk to you about the, uh, the, the process, the procedure, the principles and how bracketing is actually done. Um, so what what I do within the bracket is I go through. Uh, because I've served on mock selection committees here for the last handful of years, I understand how all the voting's tabulated. I understand that the top 32 teams that go into the bracket are what you call the first ballot. And I understand, you know, just that whole process of getting them uh, selected and placed. And later you do a scrub and you seed them at the end. And eventually you'll bracket even after that um, at the at the very end. Um, so I go through that in exact simulation. Uh, to the best of my ability in my own individual forecasts, which come out Mondays and Fridays. Typically today came out on a Tuesday. Uh, but I think <clears throat> I think that hopefully stands out to be a little bit different uh, because my goal is to not release a forecast just for the sake of releasing a forecast. It's really uh, to go through the exercise and tell a fan, you know, if you're a fan of Oklahoma State, for example, you know, who's a realistic team you could be facing What's a realistic, realistic seed you should have based if the season was ending today? And, you know, where might we be looking at, you know, planning some travel? So um, I've always loved that as a fan, and I want to recreate that for any kind of fan that's out there anywhere in the sport. Um, so that's really kind of what I do differently. You know, in bracketing specifically, Eli, 
Uh, you have scenarios right now where like the Big 12 could have five or six teams in the top 16. And if that happens, there's a certain order you have to put them in the bracket. Uh, there's also a new rule in 2023 that I think a lot of bracketologists don't know about where they don't want rematches even in the second round anymore. It's common that you avoid them in the first round, but now it's even that entire first weekend. So there's just these little nuances uh, that I'm sure others may be overlooking that I just make sure we have pinpointed and tidied up for our bracket. And Rocco's not a better per se, but the kind of insight he could provide you if you bet on college basketball is definitely worth your while. So looking at Rocco's latest bracket over at Bracketeer.org, the four number one seeds, Alabama, Purdue, Kansas, and Houston. And Purdue, I want to pinpoint Rocco just because I have a gripe with the Boilermakers. I've always had a gripe with Purdue after my Boilermakers future lost to St. Peter's in the Sweet 16 last year, but Matt Painter is obviously a heck of an offensive coach. But my issue with this Boilermakers team is highest turnover rate in Big Ten play and a lot of issues against the press. We saw that come into play play last week against Iowa, even though they beat the Hawkeyes by double digits at Mackey Arena. So yes, you have the likely Wooden Award Player of the Year and Zach Eady, who's transformed his game playing full-time at the center spot with Travion Williams gone. But how difficult of a path do you think we could see for Purdue, especially, again, with those turnover issues against the press, against half-court traps? And I, I see, number one, it, it's the potential second-round matchup between Purdue and Auburn, which definitely piques my interest. Yeah, I mean, that's just the way it shook out today in, in, in the bracket, uh, the way it was came out at the end with Auburn playing Providence in the 8-9 game. Again, that's just an example of who Purdue might face in that second round. Um, I agree with you. Auburn has um, a litany of talent and obviously great, great talented guards that could, could give Purdue's guards trouble. They also have that frontline uh, answer with, with Janai Brome, you know, who's just been a phenomenal uh, college player through Moorhead State, now, of course, at the highest level with Auburn. Um, now, Auburn not having the most terrific season. They're lacking some big wins. Um, so we'll see if they actually will fall into an 8-9. That's just where they, they fall today. They're, they're safely a tournament team, but they're also, um, you know, if they get some big wins, they'll probably end up a little bit higher than an 8-9. And if they fall, they, they might fall uh, below this. But but you're right, matchup-wise, you know, Purdue's one of those one of those juggernauts, uh, obviously with Zach Eady, just a one in a generation type of college basketball player. Um, the more film we get on them, uh, not only us, but their, their future opponents, I, I feel like the better and tighter the game plans will be. Um, another concern, I think for Purdue down the stretch in that Northwestern loss, you know, I think they had one field goal in the last 10 or 11, um, minutes. So I, again, there, there's, there's some significant, um, issues I think <laughs> Purdue needs to address as a basketball team. Um, we'll see how this shakes out as we get closer to March, but I think in general, um, you know, having more and more film, more and more evidence of certain things working to, to stop Purdue, a team that is an eight, nine seed could certainly, uh, knock them off based on, you know, the amount of talent it takes to even get up to an eight or nine. Yeah. And Purdue, one of the favorites to win the national title, you could check out all the latest odds over at the lines.com. But when looking at 
national title odds, Rocco. The reason why I love bracketology and having smart people like you on the show is you can correlate value with a bigger number, potentially with a team that can make a late regular season run to get a higher seed. Like you mentioned, maybe Auburn. Now, granted, I'm not back in Auburn in the futures market, but it goes back to my original point. And Indiana was a team I was looking at before. They got really, really hot. Obviously, winners of eight of their last nine games. Big win at Michigan on Saturday without Race Thompson and obviously Xavier Johnson. And Indiana was 50-1 to going back to a couple weeks ago before the big win over aforementioned Purdue. And now as low as 30-1 to at some sports books. So besides Indiana, and obviously the market has bet into them a bit of late, but with about one month to go until Selection Sunday, which team or which teams... Uh, do you see making that big leap maybe to a two, three, or a four seed that haven't done so quite yet? And I, yeah, I don't know how high Creighton's going to get at the end uh, because their seed is certainly going to be at least somewhat damaged from the six-game losing streak. And that, of course, largely happened with Kalkbrenner, um, you know, having mono. And uh, you can even trace that back to the championship game with the Maui Invitational uh, when when he did play against Arizona, but he just wasn't himself. Um, I had the opportunity to cover the Creighton game against Arizona State, one of the games they lost uh, without him. And, um, you know, so I talked to the radio team and others that have just talked about how, just how, how much that knocked him out. But clearly since, you know, early January, uh, Creighton's been back to the team that we thought they would be in the in the offseason coming into the year and just been buzzsawing everybody. Um, played, played a UConn team who's starting to play well again and got the win just over the weekend. So they just continue to go up and up and up. I've got them as my strongest six seed right now. Others already put them as a five that I, that I work with. And um, you can just see if they win the Big East, which they can easily still do, um, and maybe even win the Big East tournament, they'll, they'll probably be a three seed. Uh, I don't know if they can reach a two. That's probably going to depend on what other teams around them do, if they get some help. Uh, but, but again, the Creighton is not just a team trying to get a good seed. This is a team that was built and constructed uh, to make a run to the Final Four, to be a national championship contender. And quite honestly, if you filter Creighton's res- results uh, for the last month, uh, they're performing as the fourth best team in the country uh, per Bart Torvik's uh, database. So uh, certainly a team with much higher aspirations than just a good seed. Um, so that that's the, the place I would start. Uh, the next is a team that, you know, just played recently, played pretty well um, on a Monday night against North Carolina. The Miami Hurricanes, also a team that was built uh, and well-documented. There was some investment uh, made into the success of this Hurricane team. Um, <laughs> But but I, I think you can look at their their dominant win over Duke, a comfortable win at North Carolina, a very tough place to win, regardless if Carolina's on the bubble or not. They've always been a good home team uh, these last couple of years, and that was the first time they were thoroughly beaten in the in the Smith Center. Um, and I think there's an attitude coming around this Miami team that's growing as the season carries on. I really, uh, you know, whether they're a five or four, they're my strongest five seed as we speak. Uh, they could play easily up to a four. Who knows if they'll go higher than that. But they're a team, I think, that has much higher goals than just being a good seed. Um, those are the kinds of teams I'm looking for if you're looking for an outside-of-the-box potential national title team. You mentioned Indiana. They've got the exact same thing going for them. I would add them to this list. I know nothing about the odds. You, that's your job, Eli. But but I think those are three really good candidates. And I've got a fourth <laughs> one that's probably a little too far out of bounds. Uh, but a team I've I've been in love with, if anybody's been following me this year, 
I went down to see them, uh, the Florida Atlantic Owls. I do think they're built for a long tournament run. We'll see what their draw is. Um, obviously, just getting to a Final Four would be unbelievable for them. So maybe don't bet on them to win the national title. Uh, but if you find the right bet for the Owls, I mean, they can match up with just about any type of team. Um, so you'll probably hear me talk about them a couple times during this show. Yeah, and really good three-point shooting team. But you mentioned Creighton earlier on. You can get the Blue Jays as high as 30-1, to 1, I believe, at DraftKings Sportsbook. And Miami at 65-1. to 1. Like you mentioned, big win for the Canes at UNC. And like you said, too, UNC has some big home wins, obviously making it to the title game last season, runner-up against Kansas in that game going down to the wire. But the betting market bet UNC up to, I believe, a six-point home favorite against Miami. So... It wasn't just the recent success that you see from a UNC team down the stretch like last season. The betting market expected the same thing last night. But you brought up Creighton and Ryan Kalkbrenner and how the Blue Jays underperformed without him on the floor. That's happening to TCU a little bit as well. The Horned Frogs have lost four of their last five. And Mike Miles Jr., one of the best scorers in the country, Eddie Lampkin, their center, have both been banged up during this stretch. And TCU is as high as 40-1 to 1 to win it all. So is that a team that you think, because that's kind of where I'm curious, right? Is their resume going into March with this losing streak? But you have to account for two of the best players being out during this stretch, right? Yeah, I mean, that's certainly in the back of the minds, I believe, of the committee members. This is where some of the art and science comes into Bracketology, Eli, uh, because, you know, a big part of what I'm trying to do is stay out of my own head and put myself into 12 other heads that are going to be actually in that room having these conversations. <laughs> and, um, you know, so this comes up almost every year. We usually find a couple of teams. I think the most extreme exa example was when Notre Dame almost got in without really the wins needed to get in because of Bonzi Colson's injury a few years ago. Um, and that was fire alarms for guys like me because um, we really never saw it be such a dramatic thing. Notre Dame, they announced after the bracket came out, was the first team out that year, um, which which was a, a stunner. Um, so, so it, again, it, it has its relevance. Now, I would say this. Um, you know, they have to own what, what has actually happened to a certain degree. You know, you can't just ignore Creighton's six-game losing streak. You can't ignore... You know, TCU losing without Lampkin and Miles. But it, but again, it's a conversation point, and it's also a perception thing. And as you're voting on these top 32, um, assuming these teams stay kind of where they are today, you know, that's going to play into maybe how certain committee members vote for them. Um, so if you vote for them based on, you know, what they've actually done, you're probably going to put them closer to a six. If you vote for them based on what they could be, you might put them as high as a four. And uh, so maybe they average out at a, like a five. If, if that ends up being the situation, I don't think it's that critical. Uh, whether you're a five or a six is not uh, the end of the world. Um, in, in reality, it doesn't really impact your, your odds of advancing too much either. Um, so I, I don't think the committee would spend too much time discussing it if that's the case. Now, if we're, if Creighton and TCU are trying to crack the top four seeds, that's a bigger deal because that's what you call a protected seed. It means you can't play a first round opponent within 75 miles of the, of the host arena. Um, so you're actually protected from a home court disadvantage if you're a four seed or better. Um, so that starts to matter. And those decisions actually get scrutinized a little bit deeper than anything between five to eight seed lines. Now, of course, when you get down to the bubble, 
God forbid either of these teams slip that far. I don't I don't know if there's enough time for that to happen. But it, let's say one of these teams or a different team comes up that's on the bubble with injury issues, maybe like a USC. Um, then you you could say, all right, um, how much of a big difference does it make? That's where the debates and deliberation can get really, really heavy because now you're talking about the difference of a team actually getting a chance to dance or go to the NIT. Um, but where it stands today, I don't think it's that significant of a deal yet. Yeah, and speaking of teams that are not locks to make the tournament if they lose their conference tournament, Oral Roberts you have in as a 12 seed on Bracketeer.org in Toledo, Ray J. Dennis who comes over from Boise State for the Mountain West, putting up just under 19 points per game. Uh, those two teams, obviously you mentioned FAU earlier, but those two teams, intriguing ones. We saw Oral Roberts make a run to the Sweet 16 going back to the COVID year a couple of years ago. Uh, maybe one or either of those teams stand out to you as potential dark horses to make a run to the Sweet 16? Uh, it's always dependent on matchups. I, I do love pretty much anybody I have right now between the 12 and the highest of the 14s because right now Furman's just fallen in as a top 14. That's a team that obviously can play extremely good offense and, and get a big lead on somebody. Like, like right now they're matched up with Virginia in today's bracket. That could play out like a UMBC type of game if Furman got up by 15 or 20 in the first half uh, and have enough juice to hang on down the stretch. Um, you know, so, so right now, like the field is littered with great teams because, uh, it's assuming that these first place teams will win their conference tournament. You and I both understand that maybe half of them will, half of them won't. Uh, but certain leagues like the WAC, uh, with Utah Valley being the representative now has about seven quality teams deep. Really, whoever comes out of the WAC is going to be a tough out, uh, depending on matchup as well. And so, and so there's there's examples like that. If Toledo doesn't make it from the MAC, Kent State could be an unbelievably tough matchup for for pretty much anybody. They're a top thirty ish defense. Um, so again, you're either going to get the the tastiness of Toledo's you know five out offense, or you're going to get the toughness of Kent State's defense if it's one of those two. And Akron Akron's no slouch. So that league's probably going to put somebody tough into the field into that. 12-13 bucket. Um, I like a lot of these scenarios. Um, I was just looking at today's bracket, for example, and I think, you know, like Utah Valley could certainly hang with St. Mary's. I mentioned the Furman versus uh, Virginia example on the 14 versus uh, three line. And then I've got, you know, Oral Roberts playing Iowa State. I do think Oral Roberts could get frustrated against such a good defense like Iowa State's. But again, Iowa State's offense is not so lights out that I could see them pulling away from Oral Roberts. Um, and that's a really, really tough Oral Roberts team. I got to see them on opening night when they rallied and tried to make a game against St. Mary's, ended up losing by eight. Um, but obviously been red hot all through the Summit League, never never lost. So, <clears throat> again, there's going to be so many uh, more, I think, even matchups, especially in this 5-12, the th all the way down to 3-14 range. Um, then maybe even the 8-9 or 7-10 games, which might be different for fans to hear. I think that's just because uh, the extra COVID year, the transfer portal, et cetera, has spread the talent around the country, not just across the power leagues, but also into these leagues that will send really, really formidable uh, representatives into the tournament. And so, and you also look at the four, five, and six line teams right now, besides maybe Miami, Indiana, and Creighton, who we just 
recognized. The other teams are vulnerable. Like Xavier is very vulnerable. I could see Marquette being vulnerable. Who knows what UConn team's going to show up? So again, there's just going to be so many of these scenarios, <laughs> and, and and I mean the the list goes on and on and on. Yeah, you mentioned UConn. That matchup that you have projected in your bracketeer.org, your latest bracketology, definitely scares me a bit against Hofstra. Any matchup against yeah. UConn, I guess, kind of scares me because, like you said, you don't know which team shows up, and their guard play from a turnover standpoint can be a bit of an issue. I already mentioned that with Purdue, and it definitely the same goes for the Huskies with Tristan Newton and Jordan Hawkins, who could be is truly can be hot and one of the best shooters in the tournament can shoot UConn to a sweet 16, elite eight, maybe a final four, but could also shoot him out of the first round. And you also mentioned Ken State's and Sear Carey, one of the better scores among mid majors, but really one of the better scores in all of college basketball. And he had an off night at Houston in non-conference play, but Kent State almost pulled off a monster upset as a 20 plus point dog. You're listening to the lines.com podcast network. Looking for the latest player props and the best betting odds from the top U.S. sportsbooks all in one place? Then join us right here every day this season for free picks and best bets from the sports betting experts you can trust. Check out the Lines.com NFL Megapod as Matt Brown, Steven Andrus, and Adam Candy break down every game for this weekend's football slate. Join the Coast to Coast podcast crew Mondays through Fridays as Nate Weitzer and Josh Lander bring you the best player props and game lines for Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NFL. And tune in to Beat the Closing Line twice a week as Nicole Russo, Mo Nawara, and Eli Hershkovich dive into NFL opening lines, plus special guests from the sports betting world. So subscribe, rate, and review to the Lines Podcast Network, the source you can trust to make you a better sports better. But staying in the mid-major realm, or quote-unquote mid-major realm, Rocco, because we know Gonzaga, St. Mary's aren't true mid-majors and not mid-majors at all, but the WCC is going to get a couple teams, two, three teams in the dance this year, and St. Mary's beat Gonzaga last weekend and came back from a double-digit deficit in that game, but you have the Gales projected as a five-seed in your latest bracketology, and Gonzaga as a four. We know how well Aiden Mahaney played down the stretch in that game. St. Mary's having one of the better on-ball guards in terms of lead guards that can really dominated that Gonzaga defense. And it's been talked about a ton at nauseum how poor this Gonzaga defense is around the rim in relation to last year's uh, Zags team with Tret- Chet Holmgren. But I digress. Uh, St. Mary's, you see them a lot being out on the West Coast. Rocco, one of the best ball screen defenses in college basketball under an elite coach in Randy Bennett. But between... St. Mary's or Gonzaga? I know obviously the matchups play a huge part of this question, but which team to you just, you know, on the surface granularly makes the deeper run in the dance? Yeah, I mean, it is it is always matchup dependent, as you said. Um, and, you know, last year I actually thought St. Mary's was in better shape, even though Gonzaga was a one seed. Um, you know, St. Mary's had come off a uh, – a, end of the season win over Gonzaga, the last day of the season. Uh, and then, of course, they rematched in the WCC final where Gonzaga uh, outlasted them down the stretch. Um, but St. Mary's ran into UCLA, and that was just a disaster for them. Um, they couldn't – I mean, they were, UCLA was just too sharp. Uh, Tiger Campbell chopped it all up, uh, everything that Randy likes to do, Randy Bennett. 
St. Mary's is coach. So, um, you know, it is, it is so matchup dependent. But just looking at the bracket I put out today, Gonzaga actually moved into the final three seed. And so that put them up against Eastern Washington, which I don't think they would have much of an issue. Um, shout out to the Eagles for winning 15 in a row. But, but I just don't think they could hang with Gonzaga's talent. They didn't demonstrate that uh, before Big Sky play started. Um, and so then Gonzaga's next game would be San Diego State, Texas A&M, or USC. And I could certainly see any of those three um, giving Gonzaga trouble. Um, obviously, you mentioned they struggled to defend bigs, but they also have just struggled to defend some particular guards. You know, Cam Shelton went off on them in their upset loss at home to LMU. In fact, both these teams have lost to LMU and Cam Shelton. Um, so, <laughs> you know, there's a there's an interesting dynamic there. Um, that I'm trying to get a get a handle on. Um, I, clearly, a special player, but but Gonzaga has had their struggles in a lot of different games this year uh, and pulled a lot of them out. They barely pulled it out against Kent State, against San Francisco, against Santa Clara, at least on the road down in the Bay Area. Um, they've had a lot of close calls, and LMU snipped them. So um, that gives me obvious concern for a variety of matchups they might face in the NCAA's. Whereas I know St. Mary's is very dependable in terms of that unbelievable ball screen defense, uh, the amount of preparation that staff puts in, that's a staff I'm very close to. Um, they they leave no stones unturned. Um, they barely sleep the night before games because they're constantly watching film. How they get that information out of their own heads and into their players' heads is an, an interesting skill, but they've mastered that as well. Um, and like I said earlier, I think the Utah, the Utah Valley matchup that I have today would be interesting. Um, Utah Valley plays you know, great defense themselves. They're a top 60 defense. Um, could be a little bit of a, a stalemate there for a while, but I do I do think St. Mary's definitely has the edge. And then they would be matched up against a really hot Indiana team in the second round on today's bracket, um, a team that they actually steamrolled uh, last year uh, in the NCAA tournament. So right. I think the, the psychology, if they actually matched up with Indiana again like this, uh, would, would favor the Gales. Um, Indiana's paired up in the in this bracket with Southern Miss, who's a team that plays with a ton of emotion. And I, a team, if they actually got in the tournament, they might be somebody to really uh, get behind just because, again, they're not going to blow you away with their numbers, but they play really good defense. Uh, they attack the glass. And they're, they're the, their three best players are super emotional. Uh, and in the NCAA tournament, that could get you so far. Look at the personalities on St. Peter's last year. So anyway, if, if St. Mary's somehow played Southern Miss in a second round, I think they're in good shape there because I, I think Southern Miss would have to expend a ton of energy to try to beat Indiana. Well, now you're scaring me because I have those Indiana futures that I mentioned. So hopefully your path for the Hoosiers doesn't end up taking place. But Rocco, yes. great conversation and want to wrap it up with some blue bloods here. Kentucky, UNC, you mentioned it in your latest piece again on bracketeer.org ping ponging back and forth in and out of the first four in and out of the first four out of the bracket. And we already talked about UNC losing to Miami on Monday night, Kentucky with a bad loss to Georgia over the weekend. So, and both teams have huge games on deck with Kentucky going to be a home dog to Tennessee this weekend, UNC against NC state an NC state team that has some really explosive guards Led, led by Travion Smith. So uh, uh, with those two teams in particular, what are the odds we see? I know you're not a, an odds maker, but what are the odds we see Kentucky and or UNC in the big dance? 
Yeah, so the, to appropriately answer the question, we know right now they're both basically teetering back and forth between the first four in, first four out. Um, so they're just in this perpetual state of swinging back and forth. Um, but the, the, the rest of their games, you have to look at the rest of their schedule in totality to accurately answer the question. So for North Carolina, um, still three monster opportunities, two at home where, where we already mentioned they play well. They'll get Virginia and Duke at home. Of course, Duke will be the last game of the year. And then they get coming up this week a road game against NC State, an NC State team they've already beat. Uh, but something they really, really need is a road win against a team in the in the field. Their only road win right now against a team in the top two quadrants is at Syracuse, a team who's not going to make the field for what we know right now. So <clears throat> really, really would help themselves to get that NC State win. Um, they also get a couple non-tournament games at Notre Dame and at Florida State. So I think for for Carolina's sake, you know, they don't have – that umph of a road opportunity that will like vault them in for good. Uh, but I think if you get a combination of either Virginia Duke at home, get the road NC state, they'll find a way in. Um, the only way I think they end up back in Dayton where we've been projecting them is if they thread this needle somehow. So maybe win two of those three, but then get a surprising loss at Florida state or a surprising loss at Notre Dame. Um, that they, they have to kind of thread this needle to stay on the bubble. I think, um, you know, we'll talk about Kentucky here, actually, and then I'll tell you my larger point. Um, so Kentucky, they're, they're a lot more declarative in their final um, six games here. So all the road games are hard. Uh, they go to Mississippi State, a team that's emerged and made it safely into the field as a 10 seed today. Uh, they go to Arkansas, who's a firm NCAA tournament team uh, in the 8-9 range. And then they'll go to Florida, who's not in the tournament today, but obviously um, a tough place to go and win. Their home games. Tennessee, an elite team, a chance to sweep the balls. Again, you sweep the balls, you got to be feeling really good about your chances to get in. Uh, Auburn comes to town. That's another opportunity to get a win against a tournament team. They'll be favored to win that. And now Vanderbilt comes. I don't think that's a nothing burger because Vanderbilt's playing better. So all six of Kentucky's remaining games are, uh, are, are very declarative in my opinion. And I think, um, you know, they would, they would have to, we, we would have to be like script writers to figure out how to stay in the first four. Uh, but my, my larger point is um, this is just two examples of maybe 15 or 20 teams that are out there like this, either a little bit inside the field or, or outside trying to get in. Most of these teams, this happens every year, uh, will clearly play their way in and clearly play their way out. That's what the majority does. And they're going to make our jobs very, very easy to then, you know, split the hairs between like the five or six that are left over. And that's what we're going to see play out. So it's a lot of stress in early February to determine, you know, who's in, who's out. You know, it's hard to prove who's right or who's wrong. But by the end, it gets a lot more clear. Thank God. I know, Rocco, you can attest to this. Thank God we won't have to see Jim Beheim and the Syracuse Orange on the bubble. That's for sure. That's something we could definitely agree on. But that is Rocco Miller. You can follow him on Twitter at Rocco Miller, a college basketball bracketologist for the Bracketeer and contributor to Fielding of 68, a part of the Field of 68 network. Remember, the lines.com has given away a $25 Amazon gift card in our daily college hoops pick'em contest. For more details, head over to play.thelines.com and subscribe to the lines on Apple Podcasts for more outside shots as we get closer to March Madness. We'll be back next week, actually this weekend, potentially, for some more college basketball betting content. So long, everybody.